And so the you know the, are we recording by the way? Yeah, we've been I've for start, like an I hit, hour. I yeah. hit record somewhere along the way. We've been talking about um, two arguments in the Seventh Circuit about marriage bans in Wisconsin and what was the other state? Indiana. Indiana. Um, and these oral argument the oral well they, have, they haven't been decided yet. The oral arguments were recently held and just this past Tuesday. And Judge Posner um, took the lawyers to the proverbial woodshed. <laughs> that he did and and we've been talking as he frequently does I over wrote, issues of, of of triviality as well as great moment so posner could have said you know I, one difficulty i have with indiana or wisconsin it would be indiana i suppose he could say you know you will and he did say this but it was this weird sort of badgery kind of stuff but you know i, I think there's an inconsistency between on the one hand, allowing same-sex couples to adopt where both people are fully recognized as parents, which seems predicated on the notion that gay people are equal to straight people, and yet you're not allowing them to marry. So how do we get, yeah. how do we, what do we make of that inconsistency? And then based on what we think of that inconsistency, what does that say about the rationality of the legislation? That, to me, that's an effective question. You just wonder, though, if there were any uh, questions which would be more effective. I mean, the point is that they came with nothing. They came with <laughs> they came with no no arguments that could win the day that they were prepared to make. Yes, I think that's true. And and I mean, I suppose that's an even more extreme version of like basically almost every court that's heard these issues since Windsor, not every, but I think there's one that went the other way, but virtually every court has reached the, the particular conclusion. Because we're getting to the point where we just don't need to have oral arguments. I mean, is, right. it that, is, is it literally become a form of crazy talk to stand up there and try to defend this? Well, if you're saying there aren't effective questions, then you're, that's kind of what you're saying. There aren't effective questions because there are no effective responses that can be uttered in polite company. I mean, that was the point I was trying to make, right? That, that that it's the arguments which have gone away. Yeah, I agree. That is why there are no answers. What I'm right. saying is, given that there are no answers, and it doesn't matter why, you have this oral argument thing. Right. So if there aren't good answers to any questions, why are we asking questions? Yeah, I... I but isn't there some... Right? And I'm not an apologist for it. I mean, you know, the, the particular manner that oral argument was conducted is, is one thing. Um, and you can talk about the best way to proceed. But I, I do think there is um, a public value in the thorough and public repudiation of a set of ideas, right? And yes. one-sided oral arguments, slap-down opinions. Um, I would rather see it in writing. I mean, I, I would much yeah. rather, in just the same way that you say the lawyers have had their say because they prepared briefs very carefully, and in a very considered fashion, and that's on the record. Well, that's where an opinion, that's what the opinions were too. Right. So if you want to repudiate squarely something, you'll have a, an opportunity to do it very uh, with care, making sure you say what you want to say and not what you don't want to say, making sure you don't accuse someone of having done something they didn't really do. Yeah. You'll get your chance. I mean, <laughs> so write that opinion. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it did. But, but what is the, I, I don't understand the, the sort of, I just think he's very unprofessional at oral argument in the way that I think Justice Scalia is extremely unprofessional in writing. 
I think they're both deeply unprofessional people in, 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 in terms of like professional as a kind of um, a, a, a politeness and etiquette. I think they're both yeah. greatly lacking in etiquette. This is why you probably liked that politeness thing yes. that we linked more than I did. Yeah, I um, could imagine you not liking that really much at all. Oh, no, I, I, I do. Like, I, I deeply appreciate that. Um, but I appreciate The idea more. of politeness. I mean, <laughs> I, and, and I believe in, in many aspects of it. Um, you know, the, the instrumental somebody... sides of it bother me, though, right? The, 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 the idea that politeness is um, useful and, and should be cultivated because it's useful, that I have more of a problem with. But, um, and, but I, again, I'm not accusing that the writer that we link to of... I mean, he, he says that thing. He says that this is useful, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's because it's useful that he is polite. So I don't want to say, no, say that it is. Well, but, okay, but let's, ima- let's say I am. I mean, let's say, imagine that that is w- what I'm thinking at a moment when I'm being polite. I don't, I don't see what... I mean, you know, law... Um, uh, sort of polite civil society, these are alternatives to interpersonal violence. Right. And I think they are highly praiseworthy on that ground. And so if in, if in the middle of engaging in the substitute for interpersonal violence, you start acting weird and violent, <laughs> like verbally violent, yeah. you're kind of missing the point. Yeah. I, so so I, don't, I don't see how it makes you any less able to accomplish your job. In fact, I think it makes you more able to accomplish your job as either a judge or an advocate if you try to observe some basic standards of politeness. Yeah, see, but you were using all kinds of loaded terms here. Of course right? I am. I mean, you're, 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 you're taking to the extreme um, the objections to politeness by, by assimilating them to, to violence and, um, and assimilating a certain norm of politeness that you like to basic norms. And... So where's yeah. the where's the disconnect in what I in the steps I took? Well, I just think you've you've kind of pushed them out to ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Where um, I'm good at this. Yeah. Well, you know that is I mean spectrumizing stuff is uh, it's kind of what lawyers do right. sometimes. Um, but I you know I don't necessarily think there's a problem with articulating well and even sometimes a little bit aggressively um, your disagreements about things. I mean you know telling I'd much rather hear if you know. I would much rather hear your unguarded opinions about just what's wrong with my argument right now than and, for and, you to say, I hear you, good sir, but... And, and see, it's funny, you're doing, you're doing another, you're, you're doing a different uh, sort of uh, manipulation. Um, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the politeness and sincerity are, are uh, overlap to a huge degree. And yeah. so to say you want to hear my unguarded opinions, and that was you my will only hear point, them. Joe. That was my only point, is that it's not politeness per se that bothers... It's, it's politeness which may be a little bit insincere in order to accomplish an objective that makes me uncomfortable. Okay, and I, and I agree with you because I'm insincerity, especially ostentatious insincerity, is kind of creepy. So yeah. I'm totally with you on that. And, and the question is what... Or you know what should oral argument be, and what what are the norms of conduct in this field? And you use the word professional, and I you know as you know I kind of recoil. Yeah, you don't like that word. Well, because I think it's, I think it's um, it's a, it's it's a normative in a way that is intended to be a little bit exclusive, uh, and I, without a kind of hmm, maybe sure, this isn't the show for this one. I'm but. sure it's been used that way. Um, and it's it, by some people in some contexts to invoke uh, a sort of club that 
the listener is supposed to discern that they won't ever get admitted to. Yeah. Um, I think that's got to be right. Um, that's, of course, not how I'm using it. Um, I, I do, and, and maybe it would be better to find another word, given how that word's been used. Been exactly. Used you, you agree that it's been used that way, right? Uh, in, I, in a I, clubbish I, I, way. I'm, absolutely. Um, and, and, that's not, and that's not good. Um, and that's baggage for that word, unfortunately. Um, because one positive thing that I think it can convey is that, um, you know, it is uh, law as an activity is a th- it, it, <laughs> is a thing that people can be um, excited about and interested in and get good at and even better at, and that all of those things are actually helped when you can communicate with people in a way that is you know, a bit calmer and a bit more respectful. This is an ideal I obviously fall far short of on many occasions. One would no. even say many times a day fall short <laughs> of. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not an ideal, that's, that it's a worthy ideal. And I, and I think judges have a special responsibility to model that. Yeah, for me it means uh, <clears throat> in its best light, when we think about professional responsibility, the course that we have, you know, or the, the requirement we have for students. Right, also called legal ethics, I guess. Right, and the norms of professionalism. Right to me, that has like almost zero to do with dress. It has almost zero to do with certain genteel, you know, parts of etiquette. Okay, what what has purchased for me, and I and I think that we don't disagree, which is unfortunate. <laughs> Did you like that rhetorical move? Uh, is that um, what what? Lawyers need to have a grasp of, and this relates to the conversation about how judges should act in oral argument, is that there, there are obligations, right? You are responsible for another person in a way, right? And so the, the so-called professional obligation is an extension of an ordinary human norm of compassion, right, that should arise in any event, in any circumstance, but here because of the special relationship that you have voluntarily entered into right it's almost like you know it's like the duty to rescue in torts like you've got no duty to rescue the old law says and you know, there's debate about whether there should be a duty to rescue but what's clear is that once you've decided to rescue you you can't do it negligently right you can't you can't be the one to swim out and say i've got this swim out there and try to rescue the swimmer and thereby and therefore you know other people don't come rescue and right. then just kind of lays around and let the person drown right? right you you assume a kind of obligation for another human and with that comes a special kind of obligation and the, and the nature of the obligation you've assumed is one uh, of a kind of disparate knowledge relationship like i can hold your hand and take you through this process which is very important to you and by doing that and and therefore kind of displacing other people who might do that, right? I have a weighty responsibility to you, right? Yeah. I, uh, because you don't you won't know whether I've departed from a true a decent path, and so so that's the sense in which professionalism for me it's got nothing to do with with dress unless you know dressing a certain way is what's needed to represent the interests of your clients. Well, I certainly believe I believe in doing whatever you can do, right? To fulfill that almost sacred obligation that you have when you take another who's less knowledgeable about what needs to be done when you take their interests into your hands. But it has nothing to do with driving the right car, certainly, right? Or or uh, uh, acting in the right way. Like this, uh, 
it's the word professionalism. It's 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 a Not word. The same, we, driving the right car and acting the same way, uh, acting the right way. It's that's just hopeless. That's a big mess. But you agree that th- that's why I think this is a word which is on the knife edge, right? It's um, yeah. So I'm I'm sort of thinking about better words and more precise words to get at the important aspects of the behavior that right. I think are worth cultivating and finding ways to express yourself with um, with integrity and energy but also with respect for the right. person with whom you're speaking, I think that's a really important behavior that lawyers should cultivate. Yeah, and, and we'll get into this because you sent me something uh, via email, which was really interesting, this article about against empathy, mm. which I, I want you to bring up in a bit. But uh, the word I would use is compassion, I think, uh, relating to this article. Discussed in uh, that's discussed in the article. Some right. differentiations with compassion. Some of the some of the respondents who wrote essays reacting to his essay mentioned also talked about compassion right. and empathy. And certainly, compassion means thing means different things in different circumstances. So the the compassion for one's own child who is totally dependent on you, right? I mean, that's calls for a different set of behaviors than the compassion you would have for a stranger, which hopefully would also take account of that stranger's interests, right? So too in the relationship between a lawyer and a client, or a judge and a lawyer in an argument, right? That um, compassion is uh, can mean a different thing, right? And, and so I'm not, you know, I, I don't know if we want to go back over the argument again. Maybe we're past that. Maybe you want to talk about this end of empathy thing. What do, we, what do you want to talk about with that? It, I thought it was really interesting. I would like to talk about the empathy piece later. Okay, what, what do you want to talk about, Joe? Well, we have many things to talk about. First, I do want to give a shout out to friend of the show, J.H. Chatted with him today. Really? And um, he enjoyed the Back to School episode a lot. Oh, great. Thought it was really fun to hear. Is J.H. a a law student, former law student? He's a former law student. And uh, he just thought it was really fun to hear about our perspectives on being on the other side of that lectern at the bottom of the class (laughs) and sort of dealing with the things we're dealing with. He thought that was really interesting. And fun, and that we were having fun, and he enjoyed he enjoyed listening in. So that was great. Thought I'd share that. Excellent. Um, yeah, they don't think we're people. I think. <laughs> well, they they know we're people, but you know what I mean. It's right. you know they're the teacher, it, and it can be hard to see things from our point of view. Exactly. Everything keeps crap cropping up. Yeah, it keeps he, trying to make us talk about. I it. like that Freudian slip. What. Empathy keeps crapping up. <laughs> it does keep crapping and cropping. <laughs> That's the wine talking. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, this is another late recording, isn't it, Joe? We've got we've got um, we've got speed trap issues combined with giving people the finger and Swartz against Insana. Did you read that case? I did. You make it. You made it sound very recent, but it's not recent at all. It's almost two years old. What? It's in January 2013. I didn't look closely enough. I guess um, this is the John it, Newman opinion. Th- yes, and then there's n- the knee defender kerfuffle okay and let's start with that you want to start with that there's the town of greece oh yeah Dal- dolly litwick's new piece on that which really. is a great it's a great piece but yeah. those people oh, the town of greece people need to kind of rethink again um <laughs> they need to re-rethink yeah being a little too exclusionary I yeah think. this is the way this is thing's gonna work out yeah the which satanists is, are gonna solve this whole problem for what us was intended well i mean the satanists are gonna test whether this is about equality <laughs> Let's right. just say that, right? <laughs> All right, so do, do you want to start with Knee Defender? Knee Defender. So in case people haven't heard about this Knee Defender kerfuffle, I will lay out some facts, and you will sweep in with your very illuminating and uh, humorous analysis. 
Okay. So... <laughs> this, I did teach the Coase Theorem today. Nice. So, the... Uh, this thing is called a knee defender, these little plastic clips. It's a pair of clips. And if you are in a plane and, and you're in coach and someone is seated in front of you, you can lower your tray table and put these clips on the arms of the tray table in such a way that they would prevent the person in that seat in front of you from reclining their seat. It like physically blocks the reclining function of the seat. And they've been around for about 10 years, and uh, all airlines ban them uh, right. for use on their planes. Uh, the FAA does not ban them because it's not in a position to ban them, I No, suppose. it doesn't seem to have anything to do with... No safety airway. implications. Yeah, right, right. Um, well, <laughs> perhaps. Um, they do seem to cause fights. Uh, so they are a threat to the public uh, public peace and good order. So this gentleman the other day uh, used the knee defender clips, and this really bothered the person who was sitting in front of him who wanted to recline. She asked the flight attendant to ask the gentleman to take the knee defender clips off so that she could recline. He refused. That is in itself obviously a troubling thing from the perspective of the airlines and sort of the safety theory of flight attendants. It's really important for passengers to comply with flight attendant instructions that, you know, are um, are to the point of and course. comply with policy, such of as course. the fact that they ban these objects. Uh, uh, he, again, he refused, uh, at which point the passenger in the seat in front of him uh stood up and threw her glass of water in his face. <laughs> so their physical alteration reached the level of, you know, dousing. Uh, at which point, the flight attendant made clear to the captain what was going on. And, of course, the captain... It just makes me... Let me just break in. That just makes me want, wish that you were... Maybe you are artistic, Joe. I don't know how well you draw. But it just makes me wish you could draw, like, a cartoon which showed... <laughs> Joe's levels of human conflict, <laughs> and where, on the, where dousing falls on that spectrum. That's pretty. It's that's like Maslow's pretty, hierarchy of needs. Is it's that what it is? Pretty far along Miller's hierarchy of conflict. That's dousing is not near the beginning of that chain of events. I have to tell you, um, at least not human on human dousing. Uh, you know, I elephant mean, dousing that okay, can be playful. I, was, I mean, there's sort of all kinds of other dousing. However, uh, so the the captain. I think not not at all surprisingly because he's got you know now physical there are now physical altercations going on in the cabin um I'm, I'm very glad I was not a passenger on that flight because it would have been very I think it would have been quite alarming oh no 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 um, I I think a lot of people would pay good money to bet on that flight. <laughs> um, I, that's a fight I want to see on the ground because here's what happened next. <laughs> okay. The captain lands. It was a flight bound for Denver. He lands. He diverts and lands to Chicago uh, where the police escort these two individuals, both mm-hmm. the knee defender user and the water throwing. Uh, Otherwise known as the knee defendant. Yeah, the knee defendant and the water glass <laughs> thrower. Uh, they were escorted off by police. Because they were both behaved in situationally, at the very least, inappropriate. Yeah, I mean, this happens. Ways. I mean, air rage is not a new thing. So let's just separate the. I mean, uh, right. So squirting the little gas can labeled knee defender on that rage is not necessarily <laughs> the greatest thing to do, right? Because it's right. This is already a fraught context, right? Do you remember the story of the BlackBerry reps who uh, got drunk on a flight? I don't remember which flight it was. Uh, 
I think they were execs. Blackberry execs. This is before Blackberry. Okay. This is back when Blackberry was a thing. Yeah. Um, but 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 after it was clear that it would not be a thing for much longer. Yeah. Right. It was post iPhone before it was worthless. And and I think they they were restrained. They were restrained, and then they tried to chew through their restraints. Oh that was the report goodness. I read. They tried to, to chew like animals through their restraints. Were I they mean, intoxicated? Yes, okay. heavily intoxicated. I mean, okay. these for all I know, these are lovely people who, right. you know, who knows what was going on. But <laughs> just the image of a human being being restrained to a chair and then trying to chew through his weird stuff goes like, on. Was there duct tape? Or? I, I, I think it... I, that doesn't sound particularly In safe. my head, I've always imagined it as the seatbelt stuff. Oh, okay. You know, and well, you can't chew through that. Well, I mean, that's I, just pointless. I know that, but anyone who tries to chew through restraints at all, with duct tape, with duct tape, you've got a fighting chance. All right, with yeah, a, I just with don't a know. nylon seat belt material, I think you're pretty much you can't chew through that stuff. I guess I'm trying to say weird stuff happens up there. Yeah, you know, it's it's at a higher altitude because the pressurization only, you know, what is it? It depends on how new the plane is. The newer planes achieve higher pressurization, oh, cool. but but. Um, Older planes, it's like you're you're dealing with eight thousand feet mm. up to ten thousand feet. You get loopy at those altitudes. Yeah, well, goodness knows. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So here's this issue about. So the, it's also interesting. So this that's the event, and then there's all this media kerfuffle after the event because you've got people denouncing the knee defender user. You got people denouncing the person who was who wanted to recline at all. So you got some people coming out in favor of no one should be able to recline, and you've got people saying, well, everyone should just recline as much as they want. Screw everybody else. You know what I love about this, Joe? What that it. Like, I knew you would say smart things about it. Like, no, well, <laughs> well, hey, maybe you should, maybe you should wait about. The wait, first wait thing might not that. be the smartest no. thing you say. You often can warm up to something, so I want to get get you going here. No, the um, like so many things in law, there's an abstract debate that's been happening right. about reclining. And let me just say at the outset, let me lay my cards on the table. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. People who recline are monsters. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's how I feel. You do? Yeah. Oh crap! I, I was hoping you would disagree. Like with the speed trap thing. Right. We know that you're a monster. I just assumed if you're a monstrous and, and antisocial in that way, it would be, be in other ways way. as well. I'm surprised I, to hear that you have a civilized understanding of these things. Yeah. But, but so the point is that, that um, uh, there's been this abstract debate about the relative monstrosity of people who would lean their seat back. Right? Yes. Um, and he, but, but this, like, like in a legal dispute, crystallizes that abstract social debate into a kind of a factual, um, a factual nugget of rage, into a factual nugget, a, fa- a case, like a case into which we can all pour our rage about the abstract yes. issue, right? Yes, yes, yes. So in this way, the particular case becomes the, um, the particular case becomes the focal point for social contest over this issue right? and and for all aspects of the issue not just for the aspects particularly implicated by these two individuals right. but sort of the issue writ large of course it's like the only time yeah. you get to use that phrase and have it be accurate writ large it's like this is writ lar- <laughs> the issue writ large uh so, yeah. so you, you agree with me that people who recline are, are monstrous now now except for a de minimis you can have a sort of de minimis like you know, if you've got a body pain and you need to recline like, a, you know, two degrees. To, nope. That's, I think that's permissible. Nope. But, nope. Um, but I will say that I do believe in reclining in some instances on an overnight flight when it's clear that everybody is yes. retiring. Right. 
it makes more sense collectively for everybody to recline. I'm very Kantian on this issue, Joe. I'm very Kantian on this issue. Do you issue. think there is a there is a, a a moral right and categorical imperative associated therewith? Right. During the day, on a regular four-hour flight across the country or, or shorter, yeah. Um, you know, if everybody reclined, it would be chaos. How yes. are you going to get work done if you're reclined? You know, right. All right. But on a flight to Europe or or to Hawaii or wherever like else people flight. go, wherever people go, or on a red eye flight from the west coast to the east coast, um, almost everybody's going to sleep, right? And mm-hmm. it makes it everyone will sleep better if everyone uh, reclines. Yes. And so I think that reclining is 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 justified and maybe an imperative, or at least if you don't recline, you can't get mad. You know, maybe an hour or half an hour into the flight, that's the recline time on overnight flight. Okay, but that's I think that's my view. And so, but, but even you, then, but I'm worried. But a daytime, I, I have to say, I worry even then. A daytime, three-hour flight, four-hour flight. You're completely anti-reclining. I would say. I'm trying to figure like out not even de minimis. I'm trying to figure out an intensifier to put in front of completely. <laughs> uh, so here's a question. And and let me just say this, Joe. Before you ask your question, this is spoken to someone who's a victim of recliners. I, I, I kid you not. I it's and it's pretty much only when I really need to get something done. Like so I open up my laptop or or try to read something. Yep. And within, as soon as that little ding goes off, which indicates we're above 10,000 feet or whatever, boom, right. it just comes back at me. Right. Rudely, as if someone just kind of walks in front of you. Yep. And I look around, there's not another seat on the entire damn plane that's reclined. Mm, just your twit. Just me. How does that always happen to me, Joe? Yeah, I don't know. That's, a, that's, some, that's worth thinking about. So you said there was one question. I have many questions, but the... But the um Okay, so just a few more things about the media thing. So Josh okay. Barrow uh, wrote this interesting thing in the uh, at the Upshot in the New York Times uh, about uh, speaking of coasts and the fact that you taught that today in your modern legal theory class. Nope, 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 nope. Property. Oh, property class. Yeah. Um, he says, and he tra- he flies a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he is someone who likes to use the recline feature, and he says what. Someone should do if they don't want me to do that is they should offer to pay me not to, oh. and and that no one's ever done that. I, um, yeah, I, and 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 of course, what I think when I read that assertion, <laughs> someone should pay me, and no one's ever done that. Of course, the next question for me is, what do you think about your solution? Given that no one's ever tried it, like maybe right. it's not the solution you think it is. <laughs> maybe it's not the bright idea yeah, you think it is. If it's never that, happened, okay, so let's just back up a notch, right? And and what he's referring to is, um, you know, this this Ronald Coase who died just what was it two years ago now? Yeah, two or three years. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it was three, but may- maybe uh, uh, it wasn't very long ago. He and Dworkin Super died in the same guy. same year, and um, two yep. giants of of Indeed. legal theory. Um, he had this insight, and I don't. We're not going to go into it. We tried that. We tried that a long time ago, so we're not going to go into the details of it. Good. <laughs> But um, let's just say for purposes of this podcast, right, that the caricature, which I go into and criticize every time we talk about it in, in actual law classes, is that when people can bargain cheaply, in fact, costlessly, but let's just say cheaply, it doesn't really matter if someone externally imposes a rule on them. 
so long as they're able to bargain after the fact, they will get to, let's call it an amicable result between the two of them, right? Because if the rule says A is the winner, then B will pay A if there's a better situation to be found. And if the law, if the rule says B is the winner, A will pay B right. to get to a right solution. So between the two of them, they will get to a solution which is, let's just say, efficient or amicable between the it, two it of them. It reflects both their preferences better than the rule and without respect to where the rule initially allocated the thing. Right. And when, when their ability to negotiate and reach a deal is costless or nearly so. And this is a useful observation for all kinds of reasons, yeah. but not necessarily for its kind of descriptive or explanatory power about, well, not, abs- about actual events. because bargaining turns out never to be, uh, maybe not never, bargaining turns out almost never to be costless or nearly right. so. So his conclusion was that, from this piece, was the fact that no one has ever paid him not to recline or offered to pay him not to recline is evidence that he values reclining more than anyone else values not being reclined upon. And yes, right. It, that, that's how, that's how he views it. You, in your argument just now, are concluding the fact that no one has ever paid him for it uh, reveals that this is not a way that we will socially process an answer to this conflict. It's just for whatever cultural reasons. And this is my thought on reading this. I'm like, I can think of all kinds of times when people are annoying or do things. I've never seen anybody anywhere ever in a social situation get out a check, get right. out a checkbook and yeah. say, how much is this going to cost for you to do something else? Right. It just never happens ever, 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 ever. So what are we, what are Agreed. we to take from It hasn't that? happened to me on a plane. It hasn't happened to me. I haven't seen it in other contexts really either. Now, to be clear, listeners, if you run into me and you get the urge to get out your checkbook, <laughs> you know, please do. Give in. Give in, give in to the urge. Um, but this is, that's just not the way. So, so the, yeah, it and, seems like, it seems like it's not, um, yeah, it, it's, it's not, uh, this story about bargaining to a mutually more agreeable outcome is I mean it, it's sort of charming. It has a like charming feel to it, right? But I, it, yeah, it just doesn't turn out to correspond to human life very much. It, it so what bargaining it does, must be a lot harder than well, it, it or, desc- or something else. It describes a social a social situation in which uh, in which people are always uh, on the uh, in a personal situation in which people are always on the lookout for uh, efficiency improving transactions. And, and the fact is that. It's not true. It's just not. It's just not the case. People don't think to resort to money to kind of buy off other people's even strangers. Even strangers, they don't think of it. Even like you might think, oh well, they don't think of that because it might seem vulgar if they're dealing with their close personal friends to act that way. But you people don't even seem to do it with strangers. I actually think it's the opposite. I think with closer friends, you're more likely not with money, but with kind of in kind. Well, um, you, you mentioned money, so let's stick with the example. Right, you don't no. go changing the example. <laughs> okay, you said money. Right, but let me put it this way. If my wife was in front of me and reclined, <laughs> we would, or, or, or probably, you know, more accurately, it, it, if she were behind me and I reclined, right. you know, we, there would be a discussion. <laughs> right? and, there would be a discussion. Yes. And if you're a friend, like if you reclined in front of me, you would say, Miller. I would say, well, you know, what the hell? Yeah. And, what are you doing? And we might say, you'd know, say, I'm really tired. This, I really, you know, and right. I say, I've got to work. We, we might come to an arrangement where you say, okay, how about you do this for an hour and then we do something right. else? Or how about I buy you a beer when we get to the next, you know, whatever. Right. What I'm saying is that kind of these 
social in-kind things, those kinds of transactions, I think, are much more common yeah. than people proposing economic transactions. You the know, rational actor model assumes that people are always on the lookout yeah. to propose economic transactions. It's just not descriptive of human nature. No, it's really not. Um, and what wh- what I think people, I mean, if, it seems to me a much more dominant behavioral move is for people to look for ways to make conflict or incipient conflict disappear yeah which is a different thing to try to do right um and that might lead you in that context to for example ignore the fact that someone leaned into you with their chair like i have never as as annoyed as i've been by many of the people who have reclined into me over the years i've never asked someone not to right now i travel less by air than i used to because i find it such a loathsome activity i love it i I find it i love it i think it's amazing i think it's so vile i think it's amazing Um, i love it i sit by the window i look out the window i can't believe people shut their window shades i take every opportunity i can i love it and i love that you're enjoying it enough for both of us because i hate every minute of it (laughs) because to me it's like flying in a huge septic tank i'm so sorry Um, that you're dead inside go ahead proceed Um, and uh (laughs) but i've never asked people to to lean forward and and that so what I do is not offer to pay somebody, but just tr- try to imagine I'm not in the in this uncomfortable situation anymore, and and it stops bothering me to a great degree. Uh, and but that's the thing. Whatever the benefit you would procure from the person not reclining, that's you know. And but don't say it must be smaller than because you're making the same thing about bargaining. No, I'm I am going to say it must. Right, I'm saying whatever. Whatever the um, benefit you would gain from entering a conversation that resulted in the person leaning forward, yeah, the costs of having that conversation are immense. Like the cost, like this because is of why all I the said, ways, this is why I said bargaining, bargaining, bargaining must be harder than we may think because initially. Because it's so unusual. I mean, how many that, times a day okay, is someone like? Great, do you re- see someone on the street and say, you know what, this could go better if you were like didn't follow me so closely right <laughs> how about a fiver you know to <laughs> to um, like stay right. five feet away from me now, like this doesn't happen here's a, here's a, another interesting thing about all this is that i think we we do like the barrow piece he makes the point about uh some of the way the technology is driving what's happening here so his he makes the observation i think in that piece uh, that or maybe i heard him say it on in the radio or something um you know, the button to recline is in the area of the person sitting in the seat that gets reclined. Right. And that's a technological cue that suggests to the person in that seat that part and parcel of being in that seat, having bought your ticket, is you get to make a choice about whether to recline. So right. it's sort of like a, technolo- a technology that cues that the option is yours, not the person behind you. They're not the ones who have the option about whether you recline. And you right. can imagine... Uh, planes being designed very differently for example you could imagine the reclining button for a chair being on the back of the chair (laughs) so that you have to ask the person this might actually make people on net much happier right because the person who wants to recline would have to do something instead of the person who wants to not be reclined into having to do something it would have to be a little more complicated though there'd have to be a button in both places can you imagine all the five-year-old kids in the world that (laughs) You're you're sitting, and all of a sudden you're like leaning. Yeah, back. well, yeah, there'd yeah. be some injuries, probably. There'd be some surprise, but, but kids would learn. Or alternatively, you could imagine, you know, like on Delta flights, where right, they have the video that tells you about safety and mm-hmm. tells you about 
you know, follow instructions and all that. Right. What if that Delta video also said... Smoking and, is not allowed. Smoking is not allowed. Yeah, you're waving your finger. What if yeah. it also... I love that video. Um, what, if, what if... As much as I hate flying, I love that video. She's yeah. so sassy. Um, the, <laughs> what if the video also said, and look, if the person wants to recline and you would prefer that they not, maybe you could offer them a gift. So that they don't recline. <laughs> like they could actually make t- try to make that part of people's norm set or behavior set. And I think that would lead to more conversations like that if they did that. Not a, maybe not a whole lot more, but are it would you, lead to more. Are you thinking like, you know, press Can a, I make one last pre- point about Press A if you want to recline. <laughs> press B if you want to recline and offer the person behind you a beer. <laughs> press C if you want to do these things. And then the person behind you has to consent to the recline. I, I just think that prompts people to... You're saying that maybe that channels people into a world in which transactions are the expected thing. I'm saying technology shapes, because technology is part of our environment, it shapes the things we do in that environment. And you can make different choices. So if, if, all, um, if all the seats in all airplanes were equipped with, um, with uh, knee defenders, yeah. and you had to ask the person behind you to take them off. Right. Right? That would, everything would be set in a particular default. Right. Opposite the one we have now. Of course, yeah. I, uh, I completely it, agree with this. And this so, is the anchoring phenomenon. Yeah, we're making... so, so and, and then once you realize that, you think, oh, okay, so this is a choice. Right. That could be made in a different way. And it's interesting to think about, and I feel like this is something we do in our classes all the time, asking students to think about, you know, what if the choices that structured the defaults had been made differently? Yeah, and I don't know for sure... Um, it'd be interesting to find out. I, and if I'd known, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this, but at the time that the recline option was put into airline seats, I'd love to know when that happened. Was the width, was the uh, seat pitch, as they call it, much greater? Like, have they been cramming people closer together? Well, given together? that it happened before yesterday, the answer to that has to be yes, <laughs> right? Because the, the seats get closer to, like, with every passing minute, they right. seem to get closer together. Yeah. The seats. The inventor co- of the need defender. The seats by the way. get closer together, and Americans get bigger. Yes, this is. <laughs> so they're getting closer together in two directions. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? Um, and the need defender guy, the guy who invented knee defender, yeah, uh, is six foot three, which is that's tall. Right. Uh, and so he so, had a need for this. Yeah, I think he invented it in part from personal experience, having because right. it can be very. I mean, if you get someone who leans back fast, it, you really can get jammed on the knees. It can be a painful experience. Oh, yeah. So, and that's not a laughing matter for the people who are doing that. Like, I'm going to re- I, you know, let's say I, if I, large and girth person that I am, decided to lean back at top speed, I would probably <laughs> break bones. Like, that would be pretty rude and thoughtless of me to do that, right? What I mean, I weigh no, like 500 pounds. No. And so what, if what I, the, <laughs> you know, if I went just, slam back, that would be bad. Yeah. You could injure people. At top Miller, and people don't seem top to think Miller about that. Top Miller lean back speed. Hmm? That top Miller lean back speed. Yeah, you got to you got to calm that down. There's energy. There's energy there. Yeah. But with all of us, I mean it's it's it, I think the reason there's something about airplanes that captures the imagination in terms of social interaction. And I think part of that to be frank and to be maybe a little bit more serious and then we're going to drop it cuz I want to go back to the less serious stuff is uh is for the same reasons that the um uh, the judges, uh, the justices seem far less interested in privacy on Greyhound buses than they do airport security. But, all right, I'm going to drop that. We're going to bracket that. Um, 
there's something elite about air travel. Less elite than it used to be. But, oh, God, um, yes. But that, that aside, I mean, just thinking about just mass transit travel in this ritualized way, where you do still pay a lot to do it. Um, we do. There's something both impersonal and, um, and demanding of a kind of conservation of personal space about it. There's the rush of trying to get from A to B and making sure that you make these connections and logistics. And then there's just the, the absolute, like, strangeness of air travel. Like, no matter how many times you do it, it's still, I think, weird. Like, fundamentally strange. Um, yeah, it is amazing. And for me, interesting and, and fantastic, uh, no matter how many times I do it. That's but, great. I love that you keep that joy. I feel like they do everything but rub me down with fast food restaurant filth and trash. That you wouldn't like that. The I air think. quality is vile. Um, it's loud. N- no, the seats aren't comfortable no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I've sat mm-hmm. in every cabin in a plane and they're never comfortable, doesn't matter where you are. Mm hmm. It's all just vile. So, but I haven't yet seen you. If it's so vile, I haven't yet seen you like take a wagon train to the West Coast, Joe. You still seem to prefer air travel to. Funny you should say that. Uh, the several times I've moved from Portland, Oregon to Athens mm-hmm. and back, I've driven. Okay. Yeah, we're not. Talking, yeah. Okay. So, so wrong. That's point one. <laughs> point two. Uh, that was partly explainable by the fact that I have dogs. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, dogs actually get killed on airplanes. Right. Frequently, more frequently than you might imagine. Really? So, I don't think it's responsible to put a dog on a plane. I, didn't, I did not know that. I mean, there's, of course, there are many months in the year when you're simply not permitted to. They simply don't allow it because right. it gets too hot. Right. But even the other times, I mean, there have been so many instances where dogs have died. So, you would never do it? No. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't possibly do that. Right, Even though can we you go- could make the argument driving is less safe and therefore I imperil them more by having them in the car, I understand. I get all that. I get. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, psychologically, it's just like putting them in the bottom of the plane because I wanted to get somewhere faster. Oh, it's so interesting how your your fear of that is continuous with the ordinary, but. And, and I'm not saying yours is irrational because I don't know the figures, but the ordinary irrational fear people have over air, airline travel, and that's the sense of lo- you know loss of control, right? That um, a lot of people are afraid of flying because they, you know, there's this closed door up there. Who knows what's going on up there? And we're doing this very unusual thing, and yeah, I have no control. And over I don't it. feel that I don't have that kind of fear of flying. I it, I I don't like it because but you're fear for your dogs. I mean, it's like you know. Well, I w- if I put them on a plane, I would be very fearful, right? For- that something bad would happen because many times things right. do happen that are bad yeah, yeah. for dogs. They get injured or they die. Never heard that. Many I, more times yeah, than you might that. think. Yeah. No, I haven't heard that. Because you ought to think it should be something close to zero. Can we bring this back to a happy and interesting place? Sure. Um, so airplanes have, uh, in, in in the unit that I'm kind of doing now in property on kind of coasts and law and economics and this kind of stuff. Did you talk about Need Defender? No, not today. I just got through illustrating the Coast Theorem in a oh, concrete okay. case. So, Are you going to talk about Knee Defender? I might talk about it tomorrow. Okay. We've got a couple of cases. So, I had a student email about it, though, uh, with the same thing that you emailed me. About and, Knee Defender? And, and another super interesting article. Um, uh, it was a really fun email to get, to get these two things. So, I got them pretty much at the same time I got the thing from you. 
But I've always used airplane examples, and really? and one of them, the knee defender is a great one, right? Because there's you sit down in your seat and you feel like you have the space in front of you, and someone intrudes into it. Right? Yes. So there's a property feel, right, to your space. It's like I've got very little space. I've got almost none to give away. In fact, I have none to right. give away. Right, right, and and here comes your physical object intruding on my space. Exactly, and like getting to be like an inch from my face. Right, and and why? For your own comfort, right? Right. Which it just shows a kind of antisocial attitude, right? right. That's, uh, and this is very uncomfortable for me. And you didn't even talk to me. Yeah. It's, it feels very invasive in a way, right? Um, Seems very impolite. Right. So Not a word you might want but to as use. I said but in the be- as I said in the beginning, as I said in the beginning, I think there is a time and place for reclining when it just makes more sense for everyone to recline. Sure. And it'd be interesting to see airlines try to cue people as to the... Now is not an appropriate time for reclining without getting permission. But now is reclining hour, right? You were laughing before. I was talking about cues the airline could provide. Yeah. And you were laughing. Now you're mentioning it too. You're such a copycat. Well, you know, when you say it, it's funny. Probably. I don't know. Were you saying the same thing? When I talked about how they could suggest that if you didn't want the person in front of you to recline, maybe you could offer them a gift. Oh, right. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It's the same thing. No, it's, it's them not. cueing a behavior. No, you're, you're trying to get them. You're you're suggesting the airlines could cue people that this is a transactional environment. Yes, because it might help no. them to see that it could be if they wanted no, it. No, that's be. weird. Nobody wants nobody wants to be in a transactional environment with strangers. They, they just don't, don't want that. That's not why we travel. I don't want to. I don't want to be in a cozy and transactional environment with all of my fellow airline travelers. I want to sit down in my seat. How about one? How about just with one of them? Yeah, uh, no, which is I, what I was suggesting before you one it blew it, it that out one, of proportion. It, it could have been anyone else. It doesn't. It's it's the whole plane, as far as I'm concerned. But the airline can cue people that the button on your seat now works, and at other times that button doesn't work. Oh, you would program it to be well, so. This is the technology point. Either I made that, before. or you could just cue them like, "Please, this is not a time for reclining." They could cue. Now is a time for reclining. You know, and that's a way of, because, again, we're all better off if people can recline and sleep on an overnight flight. So well, you're, what you're saying is there's a, what there, is, what there really is, is a collective <laughs> action problem. Yeah. Because you need to coordinate a, a very large number of people and you need to do it in a, sh- in a very short time frame. So, well, well I, rather than there being a, bar- a bargaining breakdown, which is how Josh Barrow was construing it. You're saying there's a coordination problem kind of issue. I don't think it's a collective action problem because you don't need everybody to agree, right? You're dealing with kind of pairwise agreements. You need most people to. Well, you need a whole, you know, all the middle seats to agree. It's more of a, um, um, yeah, I don't know if it's, if, it's, if it's a collective action problem so much as it is creating a sense of we're all in this together mm. and um here's a rule which even if it's not exactly what you would want to do at this time you will at least accept as legitimate right it's uh by you know saying now is the time to recline now is the time not to i don't know i'm just thinking out loud here joe of better ways to do this now let me tell you one the two other things two other things um that i think are um airlines and the coast theorem and efficiency and mm, thinking mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So one is it baggage claim. Mm. Uh, and imagine a circular baggage claim thing, you know, the bags come out and they circle around. Now, sure, sure. What, what do you notice? Like around the time the little light turns on and the bags come down, what, what do you, what do you notice then? People what, tend to gather pretty closely around that circle. Right. Now I'm at a little advantage, a little bit of an advantage here because um, I have done the maths. 
Done the what? I've done the maths, as oh. they say in English. I'm trying to appeal to our English listeners. I see. Um, a circle with a larger diameter, does it have a larger or smaller circum- circumference, Joe? A larger diameter would produce a larger circumference. Okay, and then, then that wasn't so hard, was it? Why is it that people at baggage claims cannot, why is it they cannot grasp this fact? And the evidence that they can't is that they insist on forming a smaller circle. Right. Yes. So they, so, so, so that they can see more clearly what's happening. Basically people, yeah, and I'm being facetious because what people are thinking is I want to get my bag right now as soon as it comes off. And so the way to get my bag right now is to get right up against the conveyor belt. Yes. And so the circular, if it is circular, some of them are not quite circular, but if it's right. circular, people, the circle, zoom, like zooms down to exactly the circumference of the conveyor belt. Right. right. Um, that's inefficient because you can fit fewer people around a smaller circle. If everybody took like three or four giant steps back, you can still see your bag. You can still see your bag. And when you see your bag, what should you do? At that point, walk forward, retrieve your bag, and leave the area. Okay. So how would you like to improve that situation? So what's the problem? Do you want to this- offer to pay people to stand further back? Or do you want to have a line that no, the airline no, no, explains no, no. people how to well, use? Well, okay, or- there you are. So, so I, this is a classic tragedy of the commons, which is another topic in the same genre of things, right? That It's a, it's a collective action problem where mm. each person you know, is maximizes their own well-being by being as close as possible to the baggage claim thing, right? Thereby screwing things up for everybody Thereby else. Thereby screwing things up for everybody else. And so if everybody acts in this way, there's just a mass of people near the baggage claim and you can't get to your bag. Right. Unless you were lucky enough to have muscled your way into the front. So I, I do think, as you mentioned, the answer is... Because I think people are basically good, Joe. I share that view. Paint a large line... Right, a yellow line, you know, a few feet away from the baggage area, saying, stand behind this line until you spot your bag. I think people would do that. Yes, especially if when they got there, they saw a bunch of other people doing it. The same thing with boarding an aircraft. Now, this is a notorious problem. And, and, there, and there are a lot, I've seen lots of articles about new yes. methods for boarding aircraft. Right. And people have worked out new models. And there's, we do it pretty badly. There are some mathematical sense. claims that random boarding is actually the fastest. Oh. Which is interesting to me. Because mm-hmm. my solution had, had always been... Because, of course, people there, too, I want to get on as fast as possible. Right. And but don't you board all the windows first, then all the middles next, and then all the aisles last? That was, that's my solution. I've not actually seen that. Well, let me tell you what I, what I would do. So what, what people are thinking is, I want to get on the plane as fast as possible. This is counterintuitive because when the airplane gets to the gate, everyone wants to get off as fast as possible. So it seems like you want to get on last because you have an assigned seat. Right, but what it is is people want to use the overhead bins, and those get filled up. Right? right, but if you don't use an overhead bin, why do you still want to get on? And, and I have to admit, emotionally, I feel like this too. Like once the plane is there and they're boarding, I kind of want to get on. Right? Why? Why? Why do I want to get? It doesn't make any sense. But in any event, um, that's even when I'm not checking. Even when I'm not trying to put a a, a bag into the overhead bin. Okay. Uh, the everyone's desire to get on as soon as possible means that boom. Right, the line forms. It's people are you know, and, and and it's not related to how it would be most efficient to board the aircraft, right? Um, Where most efficient means uh, less, uh, least amount of time, fastest, yeah. yeah. Which would make everybody's tickets cheaper because you know, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, so I always thought, why not um, in the boarding area actually paint out the aircraft on the ground 
like make people stand on their number. And it doesn't have to be an actual like depiction. That you don't have to paint the wings, Joe. Okay. Because no one's going to be sitting on the wings. <laughs> but at least points. you could have, at least you could have like a, you know, a number. Stand on your number, right? And your seat position. You know, 5A, there's a place for you. You stand there. Right. And then you board, you know, the windows, the, the left side windows, and they just go straight back to the back of the plane. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, if, if they're all in a line, the left side windows, they go straight back to the back of the plane. And they put their stuff on and they sit down. And then the aisle, and then the middle seat and then the aisle seat and then the other aisle seat and then the other middle seat and then the other window seat. You get six lines of people on a... On yeah, a you should never do the windows last because you have to step over two other people. You yeah, you want to do windows you know I mean. yeah, the and you want to do middles and you want to do aisles. You're correct. Yeah. It, it, it would take two of us to get this done, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> it would take you two. Um, I don't know. But this is a point of... Um, um, so why don't we do that? Well, I mean, the, the airlines, presumably, who are, uh, are, are figuring that offering these silver medallions board you know second to last and then gold medallions board before they do and platinums right. before you know this kind of staggered boarding um based on status encourages you know they must get more benefit from that than they do from efficient boarding the aircraft that's Presumably. all i can think yeah um but also my solution would require some kind of markings in the terminal itself and i don't know how well they could do that but it just seems reasonable. Why do you need the markings? Why can't you simply say, you know, if you are in either an A seat or an F seat, you should board now. Oh, or because, we could even do everyone with an F board now. Everyone with an A. No, because they now. need to board in order. Because the whole, the whole thing that slows up boarding is that you're behind somebody who's in a row in front of yours. And you have to wait for them to put their bag that, there. That is part of what slows things down. I agree. But another thing that slows things down is having window people trying to step over aisle people trying to deal with the middle person. So I think hmm. you now, could... This is an empirical point because I actually think that takes less time. Stepping over someone takes less time than putting your But you would agree that it is not a zero bag. component of the time. No, but it's by far. So you would also agree that they don't need to paint the things in the terminal in order to get to a solution that improves the status quo ante. Well, then, and you would also it. agree that that was the point I was making. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I you're going after the high hanging fruit. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying you get. I think you get mo. I, and again, this is this. But is it for, takes more to do it. This is for the modelers and the mathematicians. It takes and, more to do it, but you have to put the numbers out. How in the hard terminal. is that to put some? These people build aircrafts, Joe. No, they do. The airlines do not build well, them. They buy true. them from Boeing. They pay for them. Hmm? They pay for them. They, they do all they kinds do. of other stuff. <laughs> How hard is it them. to put? That's almost as hard as building one. Is paying for one? I don't think How... so. <laughs> How hard is it to put some numbers on the floor? That's all I'm saying. It's... All right. What, what? I feel like we've done this to death. Yeah, I feel like we've been in the middle of a Seinfeld skit for a while. You ever notice how that kind of thing? What's up with thorning airplanes? <laughs> um, <laughs> what? What do you have next on your list? Have we talked about Town of Greece? No. Uh, give us an update on that. Do you have an update on that? Well, there's, as you the, mentioned before, there's the Dahlia Lithwick piece, and, and we can link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the town of Greece has, after the Supreme Court's uh, decision that we talked about at length in a prior episode. Yeah, we'll link even, it up. Maybe even two prior episodes. Uh, the I think that one of those was with Dahlia, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, the town of Greece decided to create a new policy 
Now, now the old policy, right? The whole issue was allowing people to say prayers before the kind of was it town or county meetings? Doesn't matter. Ta- but town council, local meeting, meetings, yeah. local meetings. Yep. Uh, of the governing body, the legislative body of the local area. Yep. And they instead of now, what they can't do is the mayor can't get up and say, "Bow your heads in prayer." Uh, let's pray to Jesus Christ. I mean, can't you know that? Or be damned forever. And, it seems clear, although yeah. there's something in Dolly's piece which you know was concerning to me about that. Uh, well, the so the town revisited the policy after the Supreme Court's decision, and I think they've come up with a much more restrictive policy. A policy that well, did we say what their policy was though, Joe? So the policy was not that the mayor will give a we can link prayer. to the policy. Okay, it's many pages. Here's here are the highlights that Dolly the mentions. old policy. What's the old policy? Why don't you tell me about the old policy? The old policy was that basically they would look, you know, people would volunteer. They would look for people. It wasn't clear how they did it, but they would allow other people not associated, not not elected members or staff members of the town, deliver prayers, sectarian as they might be. Um, and the idea that was that they that this was not like a, a, an establishment of religion because it wasn't the town doing it. Right, and then they were open to all comers. That was the representation. We're open to all comers. You know, if you if you want to express a uh, a religious viewpoint, you can do it in opening a meeting because of the solemnization and everything else to be called to a higher purpose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. And now, although they did, they did very little to make people aware that they were on uh, by their own claim open to different people. Uh, right. They used a list of of the houses of worship in town that was not a, a complete list comprehensive list uh, so it was haphazard in many ways uh, but it turned out interestingly that with all that haphazardness that most of the uh, prayers uh, were offered by uh, Christian uh, persons thank you and and that um, there were occasional very small number of non-christian persons uh, sometimes these uh, opening prayers would be uh, at least a few times, uh, they had quite a sectarian tinge to them, sort of really going into a kind of far down a road of a particular theological tradition. This was Nathan Chapman we talked with us about. We did talk to him too, yes. Yeah. Uh, although other times, a much more anodyne, ceremonial deist sort of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, take on things, right? So, in other words, a mix. Right, uh, but a decidedly Christian mix, uh, and so people objected to that. Sounds and like the tagline for a uh, spiritual radio station. A, a Christian, a decidedly mix. Christian, mix. a decidedly Christian mix. <laughs> Not a very good one, but you know. Right. Brought to you by WKRST. Um, <laughs> so the that's uh, too many letters. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to do it real fast. Both, both the east and west of the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, it's on a barge floating down the Mississippi River. When, WKRST. <laughs> <laughs> when they, uh, when these, when the town of Greece went to the Supreme Court, the the kind of open, more flexible approach was touted by the town in defense of the policy. Right, that it was not this sort of edgy exclusionary, harsh right. policy uh, like the one they've now created. Yeah, because then after they did that and after they won, then the church, literally the church of the flying spaghetti monster right. said, yeah, we have some things we'd like to say at the beginning of your meeting. Yeah. 
And of course, and this is this is somewhat like what is called the Streisand effect. And you know, complaining about a photograph online, the only thing that accomplishes is making sure that many more millions of people see the photograph. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, complaining about you know, we should be able to be more exclusive in our prayers just gets you more people wanting to do prayers right. in your town. So a bunch of people from a bunch of places, some far flung, said, well, well, I'll come to your town. Right. I'll give an invocation in your town. Right. Uh, and I'm not surprised. Is this but- the time to say, by the way, how outraged I am by the compromising photos that people posted of you online, Joe? Yes. I found this outrageous. I... I'm not, I, I just, I'm not even going to comment on them. I want to take the time. I, I just want to take a moment to denounce people who would do such a thing. And I appreciate that. Okay. I just, you know, you're my I, friend. I welcome your support. You're my friend. And no, I but I'm not going to make further comment about that. <laughs> no, I don't want to say anything else about them. Excellent. They don't exist as far as I'm concerned. Nor me. Okay. <clears throat> so the town of Greece decided, well, this is all a, a mess. And so we're going to create a new policy. And we've been told by the Supreme Court that it's okay if our prayers are sectarian. That doesn't make them objectionable. So we're going to limit the people who can give these prayers. It has to be an established uh, house of worship in the town of Greece. Uh, we'll give the uh, the clerk the discretion to grant permission to someone from outside town. Uh, but I think it's only if at least one citizen of the town of Greece attends that other place outside of town. Uh, on a regular basis, and certainly no atheists. So it has to, because it says it's got to be a place of religious. What, what's the phrase? The legitimate religion or something like yeah, that? Yeah, re- 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 regular religious establishment or something. Yeah, we can it, link it to all this. It's so. odd that they would actually use the phrase establishment, though. <laughs> it's like you're trying to, if you're trying to make a policy that doesn't violate the establishment clause, you would. No, right. it's a different sense of the term. Well, it's yeah. not exactly a different sense, but it's a, right. it's a different usage of the term. So. So the 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 policy has um at the apparently by the news reports at the inst, at the urging of and with the assistance of the public interest law group that helped them litigate the case they're now advising them on this harsher edgier more exclusionary more harshly sectarian policy uh th- that they've now come up with I I see th- I thought about writing... So it's out of the frying pan into the fire. I thought about writing a little something about this, and I I think maybe Dahlia said everything that needed to be said. Probably. Um, But, I mean, I think it's just very... I don't want to say very simple, because, as you know, when we talked about Town of Greece, I don't think it's a super simple case, and and we should have Nathan back on to talk more about these uh, law and religion cases that came out of the court this term. But, um, but, But the fact is that this was... A lawsuit by the town of uh, this, the town of Greece won in the name of equality, but equality was never the reason for this policy. And and in the and in and in the aftermath, equality is taken. I would say a bit of a beating. Well, but it's since in, it was never part of what right. they were arguing about before. It's not that surprising. If their desire was not about equality and accommodation, and yet that is the only ground on which they win, then the ensuing regime is going to be inherently unstable. Right. That's. That to me is like what what more needs to be said. Like this right. is not going to last, which is why I've said before, and I think on this show, like you know, all these all, all of these issues are going to go away once the Satanists get involved, right? It, that will test whether these uh, this strong, not pro sectarian supposedly, but pro uh, religious inclusion 
um, uh, this movement, right, to include religion in, in public affairs. Right. Is this really about equality? Well, we'll see when the when the Satanists uh, decide to to get involved. And here, it didn't even take that. It's the it's the atheists and and Speaking something else. Dolly links to are the Wiccans. Um, Wiccans, a lot of, right? A lot of good, good examples. That wasn't town of Greece, though. I think, but no. it was a lot of great examples in yep. in, in that article. Because um, a bunch of towns are are responding to this sort of litigation. Apparently, this is something that in many places town councilors believe they really ought to devote a bunch of their time to. It's for reasons passing understanding. Uh, but uh, well, that's I mean, so I, and, I don't and even one town be... at least that she talked about had the good sense to say, you know what, moment of silence. Yeah, I mean that's the trick, uh, and right. let's stick with that uh, because that's a way to be genuinely inclusive, to really solemnize something in a way that welcomes everyone's version of solemnity. Right. Even if it's you know, if you want to take a nap for sixty seconds, go ahead. It seems like a very good compromise to me. Yeah, and 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 one which is inclusive of the um, it 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 gives kind of it's cognizant of the of the central importance of religious experience in kind of the performance of duties that that some that religious adherents feel right that this is a very right. important thing and i need some strength from my religious views here right and and giving and, people a genuine opportunity to internally have that moment of solemnity right. and engagement with that for themselves right. i think is actually a really great idea right what what i think is a terrible idea is a rule which is saying i need I need something said out loud so that I know that everybody in this room is on my side. Right. Right. That's problematic. And, yeah. and I don't... So, so that either people are really enjoying it or feeling kind of uncomfortable. Right. If they don't enjoy it. And the, the, the theory of the court, as we said in that episode, was that people, in fact, don't feel uncomfortable. They're free to go outside, is what they wrote. Right. right? And, um, and this is about equality, right? Why, why discriminate against religious viewpoints? Yeah. Well, this is going to test whether this is about equality. And I just think, you know, and this is not an ideological point of view. I mean, ideologically, I don't think we should be doing prayers in public events. I think we're too pluralistic to have that yep. accomplish good kind of, you know, we're not going to meet each other on kind of equal grounds and in ways that are conducive to organizing our affairs in a pluralistic society with all of this stuff going on. I mean, these are hostile messages in a way. Yep. Um, uh, so it's at the very least a real mistake of focus. Right. It, it really fails to recognize something pretty basic about contemporary life. And, right. And the, and the really dramatic degree of personal differences among people, all of good faith, all of good cheer. Right. All trying to engage in a friendly way with their neighbors. Right. At various things. <laughs> and, and you like, don't need to try to create some worshipful uniformity in that context, yeah. I think. And this is going to test that. I mean, this is just going to test whether it was really yeah, about... Because someone will equality. challenge this, because it seems to me to be a quite restrictive right. uh, policy. And if they don't challenge this one, they'll challenge one of the other ones that was mentioned right. in Dahlia's uh, well, and recitation just, of examples. Just to put a fine, finer point on it, um, the procedure that the court approved of, right, which is this truly open, equal, welcoming process... Um, they rejected the idea that, you know, just kind of statistics alone could send an exclusionary message, right? That the fact that every, that the only people who apply for this are Christian and there's a habit of doing this, like that's not enough. Right. Um, and for reason, you know, I happen to disagree with that. Other people don't disagree with it. We talked about it on the show. We'll talk about it again, probably. But leaving, leaving that, 
you know, leaving that to one side, this will test, you know, whether that is really the purpose here. Um, is the purpose to be inclusionary or uh, inclusive or or, uh, or equal? And I, <laughs> do you think it is? No, it certainly doesn't seem it, that way. I was in, and, and I have to say, you know, it, it's like other areas of constitutional analysis. When people start making laws which impose special burdens on, say, racial minorities, like, I get suspicious. You know, and I all- think it really is interesting that we talked about that we spent so much time to really, I think, in a really great way, talking about um, Caroline products and, mm-hmm. that, and the theory of footnote four and the yeah. kinds of questions you ask yourself if you're trying to understand why courts would play the roles that they do right. in evaluating democratic outputs like legislation. And it's relevant to the, the oral arguments in the same-sex marriage case we were talking about earlier. It's relevant to this Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, so, uh, yeah, I think when courts are evaluating the degree to which this is an inclusive or an exclusive, you know, are we just creating burdens to hassle people who don't have the religious beliefs that we have? Yeah. And if it looks like that's pretty much the only way to explain what's going on, that's very troubling. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I don't think there's anything else to say. It's just that this is not, I think it's inherently unstable. To have a ground right. based in equality when your whole purpose is basically to induce a kind of conformity. And I'm not saying that's their... Look, I, that's too far. I don't mean to say that that's their whole purpose. Or all the supporters of this idea of... Yeah, because we don't know reason. that. We don't know. Um, well, we do know, the, uh, we do know a, little bit, uh, a little bit about the intentions of the person who started the, uh, the prayer mechanism in Greece, which was like... Yes. Right? Um, and we also know, I mean, the the new policy has about two pages of whereases. <laughs> so they're they're explaining what you know what some of their motivations are, right? And of course, they mention you know it, it's a it's a paragraph about the founders and the founders uh, believing in a creator. It's basically, it's quoting the Declaration of Independence after a fashion, yeah, yeah, uh, which is interestingly a formulation not included in the Constitution. Yeah, this is speaking of my legal theory class. We we. We uh, read uh, and discussed Roscoe Pound today. Mm. I, I, you know, let me be frank with you. I didn't do a very good job today, Joe. Okay. I, but, you know. You probably do better than you I, I hope so. I hope so. But but it's a very interesting reading. And um, and it discussed, I, I raise that because, of course, he attacks the natural law school and the um, historical jurisprudence school uh, in the course of his article, Law and Books, Law and Action, right? And uh, Law in the Box, Law and Action. And... Um, uh, I, uh, if you look for principles in American law in history, you're going to find every principle you could ever think of, <laughs> yes. right? You're going to find natural law thinking. You're going to find historical thinking. You're going to find pragmatic thinking. You're going to find, um, instrumentalist thinking. Yep. Right. It's all And there. you'll find all those things aligned with lots and lots of different political valences and political outcomes, right? right? Like you could probably find examples of every one of those sorts of arguments that you just indicated, kind of styles of argumentation, styles of of justification. Probably find examples of all of those things being offered in favor of white supremacy. Right. And the ownership of chattel slaves. Or slavery. Correct. Thomas Cobb. So... Arch villain. So the fact that... The fact that you can not only find all those 
arguments, but you can find them probably arrayed for every outcome. Yeah. Means that, you know, quoting or aligning yourself with a particular founder or framer or user of an argument, some historical figure, I mean, it's an interesting way to signal where your thinking is. Right. Um, but it doesn't... It doesn't unequivocally place it doesn't uh, keep slurring. It doesn't unequivocally place you on the side of the angels. Right. Or the devils, it seems right, to me. Right, You're, exactly. You know, right. It's right. it's just I'm thinking of their own intentions though, right? It doesn't like I'm with so and so, right? Is it usually an argument meant to say that I'm one of the good guys? Right. But the fact that these all of these schools could do both good and bad and And that all the persons I mean, you know, oh, you know, I'm a I I I I'm a supporter of Justice Holmes. Oh, you, you'd like forced sterilization, do you? I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, pick an historical figure. There's going to be something that well, they... Now, now, here's the topic. Are, are you against forced sterilization, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <are> you, <laughs> if you pick an historical figure you're, uh, who's more than 10 minutes old mm-hmm. um, in our history ago, then you're, you're stepping into a minefield. My, my dear listeners... Um, more than once on this show, uh, Joe has looked at me with a look in his eyes that indicates that maybe forced sterilization after a fashion is exactly the punishment he would like to visit upon me. <laughs> it's not true. It, occasionally. Not it true. has happened. Not true. It has happened. So I, I think as a gift, well, so two schools of thought here, Joe. Two schools of thought. Okay. Um, yeah. One is, this is the Labor Day episode for our show, you know. Yes. And so, yes. maybe listeners want a supersized episode. Oh, my gosh. I think, though, they we should give I, them the gift of brevity. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they do not want that. I, and so, what? what tell, just give us a preview of the things that we could talk about, but we are not going to get to today. Uh, we're not going to get to the against empathy. Oh, it's a good one. It, it's good. I th- we should talk about that with somebody. Yeah. I mean, you and I can do it, I, and and... We've we certainly talked about this issue before, and the reason you brought this to my attention, this is an article, I will link to it, I'll put it in the show notes, even though we're not going to get to it today. It's actually not just one piece, it's actually a set of pieces, yeah. there's a principal essay, then there's a bunch of responses, and then there's a reply to those responses. So it's in the Boston Review, and uh, it's quite interesting. And, and, it, and it interestingly tracks um, some rather naive discussions, I guess, that you and I had just about this difference between like personal empathy and abstract empathy. Yes. And how personal empathy is what has really driven, you know, in my mind, the dramatic advances on the gay marriage front. Right. Um, whereas abstract empathy had never done the job there. Right. And that's the harder one, but but, we're not going to get into that now. Um, unless you have something immediately to say about that. No. Okay. Um, so, but that's why you sent it to me, right? Because we've been discussing these things. Yeah, we also had a we also had a discussion about empathy with respect to different jurists' views and the fact that I think, um, and and I, I'm just not an original thought to me. I feel like I've heard other people say it. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes you'll hear someone criticize a, a, a judge or or a justice for a lack of empathy, and and I think that's actually a mistaken perception. I think all of them or or nearly all of them have a great deal of empathy it's the issue is for whom do they have it right not not whether they have it right because it's a very human thing to have that is original to you it's the first time anyone's ever said it and it's profound okay and uh that makes this against empathy piece relevant to a number of conversations we've been having and maybe a number of conversations other people have been having too right 
So we'll link to that. Maybe what? we'll get a chance to talk about it at some other point. Are we going to talk about speed traps else? and giving the people the finger? Speed traps. People, I I feel like there's a pent-up demand out there for speed traps, uh, and we've we, not we've talked about it in a long time. We have time. been delaying the speed trap gratification, man. We've let been just, delaying it. Let me just say this. Let me just say this about it. We're, we're going to delay this again, Joe. Because oh, Because we're already, you know, over an hour, and I, I, I think we need to do a short show this week. Mm. But we've got a case we want to talk about. Yes. It's Which a second I circuit it was a case. New case, and maybe it was just linked newly. I guess it's I, like from January 2013, so yeah. it's not the oldest thing in the world, right? But it's—I wouldn't call it super fresh. And uh, famous judge, Judge Newman, Second Circuit, Swartz against Insana. It's a case about a man who sees a cop engaged in radar detection and uh, gives the cop the finger. Flips him the bird. And the cops are upset about this. Lots of stuff ensues. They uh, follow. Uh, the, actually, the, the man who gave the cops the finger was the passenger in that car. He was not the driver of the car. Mm-hmm. The driver of the car was his wife. Yeah. Uh, they wind up following them. To, the cops do. Correct. The police follow them to the place where they're going, which I think was their son's house. Uh, you know, awkward, strange things ensue. <laughs> They wind up. They wind up arresting the man <laughs> yeah. for being, uh, I guess, obstreperous and uh, disorderly. Right. And so he's booked in the station, and uh, stuff happens. All because there's a civil rights lawsuit after this. Ultimately, stuff, yeah, he goes through for civil rights. rights violations because the whole thing was, as Judge Newman concludes in the Second Circuit opinion, the whole thing was a was a bad stop and a bad it's just, the whole thing is and here's a, what i want to talk about bum in a, activity in a future episode because we're not going to get to it today you've got your phone's going off i got some you got to control this getting some messages I'm, i know I'm hitting the popular, mute button. you're a popular man yeah what do you want to say uh, i i want to get to this in a future episode because it goes directly to this problem of contempt of cop what contempt of cop you've heard of this before right this is the this is the law which is not really a law by which you know the law that you feel, the law which is visited upon you as a citizen by the police, depends on how the police feel that they are treated, right? Mm. And um, so disrespecting a police officer will land you in hot water. And there's almost always a kind of charge that can be brought, right? At least enough of a charge that can, that can take them out of the orbit of a uh, 1983 a civil rights lawsuit. Uh, and, and I guess they thought this was such a case... Uh, but Newman said there's a constitutional right to flip off the police. Like, <laughs> like you, have a const- you, you have no obligation to respect the police, right? You can show them disrespect. Yes. Now, I'm not, such, I'm not advocating such that, this. Such I'm, that if they, get a, if they arrest you and the only reason they did so appears to have been that you were disrespectful. Right. And disrespectful in a, in a limited way. Not that you, uh, you know, smacked them no. or spat on them. Because no. those are also ways of showing disrespect, which are terrible. Right. And those um, are closer to, you know, those are actually those physical are like acts. Physical, but you can yeah. even think of fighting words. You can think of incitement. You can think of other things which are right. so close to provoking violence that right. the, the police officers are But ju- apparently are uh, using a, a, a finger gesture, which is interpreted as a you gesture which is that's not a polite thing no, to I say gotta edit this joe you do not need to edit that this is a it's in a it, we're recording in the evening and this is listened to by adults and <laughs> you need to shut up yeah but in there in the car with the kids this is a family show joe family show this is incitement yes and <laughs> and i want everyone in the car listen to know that this is not a word you say carelessly this f word that i said uh <laughs> 
But I think that's how people interpret this finger gesture. Yeah, I am going to bleep it. I am going to bleep it, though. But um, and so, and so yeah. doing that, it might not be the same as hitting a police officer, but I'm sure the police officer who has someone do that to them does not feel good about it. Of course, it's a hard job because you have to, you know, the essence of being free is that you don't have to obey the arbitrary commands of the police. Right. Right. If you did, that's not freedom. That's Correct. martial law. Right. Um, so it's a terribly hard job. to, And I'm not advocating being disrespectful to police officers. I mean, I think they have a terribly hard job. Yes. Um, but also, you know, citizens who live under cops who take on to you know uh, uh well we'll leave this i think the ferguson incident is a whole show right the ferguson Missouri, yeah and this has an overlap with that i think it has a dramatic overlap like it's what the relations between police and citizens and and and, and, I have and to how say, law interposes is a really and as i was reading as i was reading this because i read this this afternoon you told me about this case i hadn't seen the case yeah. so i took a look at it briefly this afternoon and and i will say as i was reading it i thought to myself you know, I'm 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 glad this wasn't, you know, a black teenager and a white police officer in the South, right? Because I think it could have turned out differently. Yeah, and that's and and of course, that sounds overly dramatic in one sense. But I don't, yeah, I don't in know. another sense, given the times we're living in and how often we're hearing about, you know, unarmed black teenagers being killed. In strange circumstances with police, it's happening with a, with a fair amount of frequency. You know, I don't want to. Yeah, uh, I, it's it crosses your mind. It's, do you know the sad thing about this, though? What I mean, just you know, we need to get serious again. The sad thing is that this is actually the best time ever to be a young black male in the American South in your relations with police officers. I'm sure, and that, it's still, I'm sure that's right. Absolutely sucks. Yes. Both things can be true. Can, do we have, all right, so we're, I think we need a show about that. I mean, listeners' feedback. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about this? I mean, is this something you want to hear us talk about? I'd, I'd like to know. But um, Where would they email that? Oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. What All was one that word, again? No funny business. Oralargumentpodcast at gmail.com. Wow, okay, cool. Email us, folks. Okay, do you have anything else on your list? No, that was, that was it. That's it? Yep. That's a lot of stuff, man. <laughs>